Uh, this morning we're going to be taking a break from our uh, UR series. Uh, I'm sure many of you saw Essen's email a few days ago that his dad is, is not in good shape, and so he is down with his uh, dad for the weekend uh, and has asked me to, to cover him this morning. So we are going to be doing something different. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn there, and I will be uh, reading for us verses 1 through 11. So I invite you to stand in honor of the Word of God. And this is God's word, and it is absolutely true. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, Today, saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fail by the No one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this promise of Sabbath rest for your people, for those who are trusting in Jesus, for those who believe in the gospel. Lord, we also recognize that there's a challenge here in this passage, too. There's a challenge for those of us who do not belong to you, for those of us who are disobedient for those of us who um, have unbelief, and that challenge is to turn to Jesus this day. And so, Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, that today would be the day that you call them to yourself, that today would be the day that they turn to Jesus and trust in him alone for their salvation. And, Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, that do believe, I do pray that we would be both challenged and encouraged this morning, that we would see the rest that is available to us through Christ Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you were to read through Hebrews, you would quickly realize that uh, chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews, uh, one of the main topics is this topic of rest. And that should lead us to a couple questions. And, And the first question is, what exactly is this rest? And the second question is, who needs rest? And I want to start this morning by talking about that second question, about who needs rest. Many years ago when I was a student at JMU, um, we were finishing up the semester and it was time for exams and, and just to be honest, I'd kind of coasted all semester long and so when it was time for final exams, I had a lot of studying to do because I was not prepared and so I did a lot of late, late nights studying and preparing for exams. I, I relied heavily upon coffee and Mountain Dew, which is not recommended, um, <clears throat> but I got to the, the final exam. I had finished one exam. Uh, in the early afternoon, and my last exam was the next morning at 9 o'clock. And so uh, I got a snack, and I, I sat down to start 
studying for this exam, and I had not prepared for it at all. Um, and the next thing I know, I wake up and the clock reads 9.20. And I panic. I throw some shoes on, I grab my book bag, and I just run out the door. Run down the hallway, run down the stairs, run out the building, only to discover that it is dark out. It was the middle of the night. I had not missed my exam. But I was so disoriented because I was so tired. And there are two things we can learn from this. One, that is not how you should prepare for exams. So any of you that are students, don't do as I did. But secondly is, I was so tired, I was so exhausted that I became disoriented. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been so exhausted that your body just simply shut down? Have you ever needed rest? Well, the book of Hebrews promises rest to all who believe, but is this the type of rest it's talking about? Is it talking about simply just a physical rest, a physical rest from exhaustion? Well, let's look at this. Let me just look back at verse 1. Uh, once again, the writer writes, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This verse can be summarized with three words. Promise, fear, and failure. Let's start with promise. The promise of entering God's rest still stands. It's still valid. And this really should be of no surprise because God's promises remain the same for all generations because God's word is true. And it does not change. 1 Kings 8.56 reminds us of that. It says, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. Not one word has failed. All of his promises have come true. Israel got the rest that God promised. And then later in Hebrews, in chapter 6, we read that it is impossible for God to lie. God is faithful and he is true. His promises will last the test of time. And this gives us hope that this promise of rest is still valid for us today. And it will remain valid until it is fully realized and completed. And this leads us to the first exhortation or command in this passage. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. That is a command, to fear. Now, why does Hebrews use that word? That seems a little odd, talking about rest and and, and then commands us to fear. Well, the author is trying to make a very clear and powerful point. He wants us to seriously consider the importance of what he's saying. He doesn't want anything to be missed He doesn't want us to be misled or mistaken. Um, He wants us to understand the significance of the promise of rest. And more importantly, as as we see later on in verse 1, he goes on to say, let us fear lest any of you should seem seem to have failed to reach it. So the command is this, that we need to have great concern that we are not falling into the same deception of unbelief that our forefathers did and therefore miss the rest that is promised to us. And that brings us to the third word, which is failure. The Israelites failed because they did not believe. And the church, too, is capable of unbelief. When a person fails to believe or trust in Christ alone, they lack faith. And the promise of God's rest does not apply to them. It actually becomes a curse. Unbelief or the lack of genuine faith results in failure to enter God's rest. 
God will never let unbelievers enter his rest. They will always fall short. They will be left behind. Unbelievers, even those who are members of a church, will fail to finish the race. And they have no hope. And don't get fooled into believing there's lots of teachings out there that talk about purgatory or some other temporary state that in the end all things will be made right as long as you, you know, are baptized or go to church or whatever. Because that's just not true. Those are lies. And that is why he uses the word fear. Because anyone who does not have faith alone in Jesus alone will not enter God's rest. This is serious. We need to fear unbelief. Because unbelief is what keeps us from the presence of God. Unbelief is what keeps us from entering his rest. So I want us to think about this for a moment. Does this call to fear, does this mean that we are to live the Christian life in constant fear? That we are to live in constant fear of having our salvation lost or taken from us? Well, the answer is no, of course not. The author is writing to the church, and we need to remember that the church is actually full of both believers and unbelievers. Later on in chapter 6, the the writer makes that abundantly clear, that there are many who are members of the church who actually are not trusting in Christ, who don't know him. And this fear fear that we are to have, this this passage should act as a wake-up call for those who are unbelievers, that they need to see that they're trusting in the wrong things, that they need to see that they are deceived and that they will not enter God's rest unless they repent and place their faith in Jesus. That is why we need to preach the gospel regularly. We need to proclaim the truth of God's love regularly. But for believers, this fear is not a fear that shakes our confidence. It's not a fear that robs us of hope that is found in Christ Jesus. It does not deny us assurance of our salvation. Rather, it should fill us with concern that we don't grow weary or lazy in in following the things of God. And it should also encourage us and challenge us to be watchful of others. We need to watch and encourage and pray for each other and with each other. We need to think about who, who do we know that's wandering? Who do we know that's struggling? Who do we know that's in sin and, and doesn't seem to care? These are the questions that we must consider. And this concept of fear, fearing the Lord, it's not new or unique to Hebrews. Philippians 2, for example, says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or again in Romans 11, They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. So the normal part of Christian life is one that includes a fearful danger of unbelief and a reverent fear of God who holds our souls in his hands. But we should not, as believers, live paralyzed lives. We should not be terrorized or terrified by this because we live by faith, not by fear. Fear only rises when faith weakens. And it only rises long enough to get us back to the peaceful hopefulness of faith. This is the hope that all believers have. This is the hope that you have. We live by faith, not fear. And this promise of rest in this passage, this promise of rest that God has given to his people applies to anyone and everyone who believes, who trusts in Jesus alone. Now that we've seen that God's rest is still available, it's still available for us as God's people, 
we need to look at what the conditions are of this rest. And this passage offers us three conditions. That's faith, decree, and action. Another time when I was a student at JMU, I decided I had a day off from classes. And so I decided I was going to go and surprise my dad and go meet him for lunch. And at the time, my dad was working for a company in Crystal City in Arlington, just outside of D.C., and so to get there, I had to drive up 81 and then take 66 over. And, and there's a part on 66 where the speed limit drops from 75 to 55. And so I had just passed that moment, and I was in the left lane, and I, there I was just behind a whole line of cars going about 50 miles an hour. And I looked over, and the right lane was completely empty. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Why am I sitting behind this slow traffic? So I popped over in the right lane, and I took off going 74 and quickly realized why everyone was going slow because there was a state trooper at the front of the line. And I zipped by him, and he didn't just wave at me. He turned on his lights and pulled me over and gave me a ticket. So once again, this is do, don't do as I do um, story. But just imagine for a second, just imagine if, if when he pulled me over and he gave me his ticket, I said, no, no, officer, you don't understand. And I pulled out of my glove compartment. Look, I have this book. It's a, it's a book of all the, the rules and regulations for driving in the state of Virginia. And not only do I have this book, but I have 10 copies of this book at my house, too, and I read it every year devotionally. You shouldn't give me a ticket. That would be ridiculous, because that would actually make me more guilty. Because it would say that I actually understand well that what I was doing was breaking the law, and that I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be ticketed. And that's what the Israelites were doing in the desert. They were given the law by God. They knew that they were God's special covenant people. And they thought that that, that in and of itself, just the fact that they were God's covenant people and they had the law, that that is all they needed and that saved them. But they didn't follow the law. They disobeyed God. They didn't trust in Him. And this is what the church is warned against. To enter God's rest, we must have faith. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter who you are. If you don't have faith, God will not let you enter his rest. Look at verses 2 and 3. He goes on and says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Only those people that have faith will enter God's rest. Faith in God's Son is, is the only requirement. It's the only thing needed to enter God's rest. Nothing else will work. That was true for the Israelites. It's true for the original audience of this letter, and it is still true today. It is no good if you hear God's Word. It is no good if you read God's Word, if you study God's Word. It is no good if you know this book forward and backward. It is no good even if you're a preacher or a teacher of God's Word if you don't have faith, because none of that matters without faith. Because only faith in the one whom the Bible testifies, only faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us, is what allows us to enter God's rest. So the unbelief of the Israelites, the unbelief that still exists in the church today is of no value and it saves no one. And that is why so many of the Israelites perished in the wilderness. And this warning still needs to be heard today. Because there are so many in our world today that call themselves Christian, but they're Christian in name only. And they don't know, they don't trust, they don't believe in Jesus, and they don't even know that they're lost. 
There are many in the church today that will not enter God's rest unless they repent and place their faith in Jesus alone. Because hearing and knowing about the promise of rest must be united with faith. What exactly is faith? The easiest way to define faith is it includes belief and trust. We must believe what God says and we must trust in Jesus alone to redeem us. So here's the, the basic point that the writer's trying to make. Belief with nothing else, belief in Jesus alone with nothing else saves us. Unbelief with everything else condemns us. Another way to think about that, belief with nothing else leads to rest. Unbelief with everything else leads to hopelessness. Now this is both great and terrifying news. It's great news for believers because once again we are reminded that we are saved by God's grace and because of his grace we've been given faith and we trust in Jesus and therefore we have rest. And it's not based upon what we did. It's not based upon who we are. It is based upon Jesus and what he has done. It is based upon his love for you. But this is also terrifying news for unbelievers because there is nothing they can do to be saved unless they call upon Jesus alone. And that brings us to the second condition of rest, which is decree. And we see this in verses 4 through 6. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. So the writer of Hebrews now draws his attention back to the, the Garden of Eden, back to the creation itself. And so what is he doing? He's reminding us of his decrees. He's reminding us that God rested after his work of creation was complete. And he also is reminding us that God wanted us, wanted mankind to enjoy this creation with him. Wanted to enjoy rest with him. But Adam and Eve disobeyed. They did not believe God, and so they fell into sin. And when that happened, they were kicked out of the garden, and they were no longer allowed access to the presence of God, to the rest of God. Rest was lost. However, God did not leave it that way. He immediately began a recovery process. God had to remove the barrier to rest, which is sin. He had to remove sin, and so he sent Jesus, his son, to accomplish that purpose. Jesus bore all of our sins, past, present, and future, um, so that whoever trusts in him, rest is now available to all believers. He has made rest possible for you. We were made to fellowship with God, and God's plan could not and would not be thwarted by unbelief or by sin. Because God has decreed it. We see this in Romans 10, 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him, that you will be saved. You will be redeemed. You will enter God's rest. Those who believe have fellowship with God. Because God has decreed it. But God has also decreed that all who do not believe, that all who have unbelief, will never know his rest. We see this in, in this, the reference to Psalm 95 and verse 5. They shall not enter my rest. Matter of fact, 
the writer of Hebrews quotes this many times throughout the letter. You can see that in, in chapters 3, verse 11, or 18, or, or here in verses 3 and 5. So do you get the point yet? The writer's trying to make this abundantly clear. Unbelievers will never enter God's rest. Because it was decreed by God. And this decree was just because unbelief always leads to disobedience. It always leads to heart and hands willfully disobeying God, opposed to him and his word. Belief with nothing else, belief in Jesus alone, is what saves us. Unbelief with everything else, with reading your Bible, belonging to a church, with anything else you can put on that list. If you have unbelief, it condemns you if you do not believe in Jesus alone. And that is why we are called to fear. The next element of rest is action. We see this in verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So in essence, the opportunity for God's rest still remains. Today if you hear his voice, believe in him. The promise is still valid, but it is not indefinite. You see, death will come to all of us, and we don't know when. It may come to you this afternoon. It may come to you next week. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So if you are here this morning and you don't know what your standing with God is, if you are here this morning and you're not sure that you know Jesus, you're not sure that you're trusting in him alone, today is the day. Call upon him. Call upon him in faith. And he will receive you. And you will enter and enjoy God's rest. Now this leads us to another question. What exactly is this rest that Hebrews is talking about? What is God's rest? So let's look at the nature of God's rest. And there are two things that I want us to see about the nature of God's rest. First, it's spiritual. Verses 8 and 10 says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his so this passage shows us that the rest God promises, it's not a physical rest. The Israelites, they, they enjoyed periods of time during, in the promised land of, of peace and prosperity, um, but it didn't last. And even in that time, God said that that was not the rest that he had meant for them. There still remained a Sabbath rest. So what does all of that mean? It means that this rest that God is talking about is primarily spiritual, and it can only be found in Jesus his rest did not come through Joshua, it did not come through David, but it comes through Christ. It comes through Jesus, his son. So when God instituted the Sabbath, it is to remind the people not only the importance of rest, but more importantly, it's to remind us of our need of Jesus. You see, the rest that's talked about here is not just simply a cessation of work. God rested from his work because uh, his work was complete. He actually rested from his work by resting in the work he had done. He had great delight and satisfaction over his work, and therefore he rested, because there was nothing more that needed to be done. And we know that this is true because God is still very much active today. It's not that God is still out there resting and ignoring everything. No, he's at work now. So when God calls his people to enter his rest, to enter a Sabbath rest, he wants his people to come and to have complete and perfect fellowship with him. And that was what he completed. That is why he even made creation. It was, he made creation so that we could enjoy 
presence with him. And we're still called to that. And this can only be accomplished through Jesus. And that is why the Sabbath once again reminds us of him. It reminds us that we need to fear God, that we can find rest in Christ alone. Now this does not mean, when we talk about this rest that we're talking about, does not mean that it's rest from all your work. It also does not mean that when we talk about entering God's rest that we will no longer have any problems or struggles or difficulties. It's actually a rest in spite of our circumstances. You see, unfortunately, so many churches today promise you that if you just believe enough or if you do the right things, uh, then your life would be good. That you won't have any health problems, that you'll have all the stuff that you need and that you'll truly be happy. But that's a lie. Yes, God can bless you that way. God can give you good health and give you wealth and all kinds of things. But that is not what this rest is about. Because it's a spiritual, not physical rest. It means that you can have hope and you can have peace and you can have joy despite your circumstances. Believing in Jesus brings peace with God. It enables us to fellowship with him. We are free from sin. We are free from guilt. We are free from shame. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We are declared righteous. That means you do not have to prove yourself to God. You do not have to try to earn his favor. You do not have to try to earn God's love. Because you have that already through Jesus. And therefore you can rest. And this leads us to another aspect of the nature of God's rest. And that is that it's not yet complete. As believers, you have already entered God's rest, but it has not yet been fully realized. Revelation 21 gives us a glimpse, a little glimpse into what this fully realized rest will look like. And we hear this. The dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Our rest will be complete. It will be fully realized when we are worshiping God face to face, when we are with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. And at that moment, there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more mourning, because there will be no more sin. There will only be perfect joy and peace and love and rest. Can you actually imagine that? Can you imagine what life would be like without sin at all? Do you long for that day? As believers, the amazing thing is that, yes, though that's our future hope, we still have access to that now, that we are in God's rest. We've entered his rest now. And that is why Jesus calls us to come to him. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus gives us this command. He calls us to come to him, not because everything he promises will happen in the future, but you can experience that now. You can experience rest for your souls now through Jesus. So do you want rest? Do you want rest for your souls? If you do, the only way is to believe in Jesus. 
And that brings us to verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is nothing new. This, if you, once again, if you read through Hebrews, you'll see this same exhortation, this idea to draw near to Jesus. Um, you, you hear it many times in, in the first couple of chapters of Hebrews. Um, and the clearest point is in, in Hebrews 3.1 where it says, Fix your thoughts on Jesus. That is how we make every effort to enter God's rest. Why? Why should we do this? What difference does this make? What difference does it make to, to fix your thoughts on Jesus, to come to him, to trust in him alone? There was a story about a farmer many years ago who, he lived on, on the coast, and he was looking to hire a new farmhand to help him out on the farm. Um, and so he interviewed a lot of different people, and he just never found anyone that was suitable, and he was starting to get desperate. But one day, a, an older man came in and, to interview for the position, and, and so he asked him, you know, what, what qualifies you? What, what qualities do you have that makes you a good farmhand? And the guy's answer was, I can sleep through the storm. Well, the farmer thought that was an odd answer, but he was so desperate, he hired him anyway. A few weeks, weeks had passed, and sure enough, a huge storm hit the farm, and it woke the farmer up, and he started to panic, and so he ran to the farmhand's house. Um, he was living on the property and, and tried to wake him up, but he, sure enough, he was sleeping. He tried to wake him up, and finally woke him up and said, the storm is hitting, everything's you know, in trouble, we, I need your help. And the, the farmhand looked at him and said, no, no, sir, I told you, I can sleep through the storm, and went back to bed. The farmer was furious, so he ran out to check on everything, and what did he find? He found, to his surprise, that all the haystacks had been covered and tied down, that the cows were already put in the barn, that the chickens were in the coop, that all the shutters had already been tightly secured. And that's when the farmer understood what the man meant. The man had, was already, he was prepared, and therefore he could rest through the storm. Nothing could shake him because he knew everything was already taken care of. Are you at rest in Jesus? Jesus has already taken care of everything. He has done everything. Your salvation is complete. Your future is secure. You are absolutely secure in him. There is nothing that can snatch you from his hands. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. He has prepared a place for you. And there is no storm in this life that can undo anything Jesus has already done. You can rest in him. There is no burden that is too big for Jesus. There is no weight that he cannot carry and that he will not carry. Jesus is sufficient. And Jesus loves you. And he invites you to come to him and you will have rest. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you again for your word. And this is a challenging and hard word because it reminds us that there is even unbelief within the church, within the, the, the visible church. And so we are called to fear. We are called to search our hearts and to know whether or not we are truly trusting in Jesus alone. And Lord, I do pray once again, if there's anyone here that is not trusting in him, that today would be the day that they come to faith. Today would be the day that they come to know and to follow and to love Jesus. 
And for those of us who do belong to you, O Lord, we do live, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is full of broken relationships, broken promises. We are so thankful that we serve a God whose promises will never be broken. But we serve a God who knows our struggle, who knows our weariness, and who sent his Jesus to redeem us and to enable us to enter your rest. And so, Lord, I pray that we would come to him, that we would cast all of our burdens upon him, that we would allow him to to carry the weight that holds us down, and that we would know true rest, Sabbath rest that is only found in Jesus alone, that we would know that through him that we have been forgiven, that we have been redeemed, that we have been adopted into your family, that we are loved unconditionally, that we are loved more than we can even comprehend, and that everything has already done, has been done for us through him. Lord, may we truly know rest that can be found in Jesus alone, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.